Come on, we want to welcome our Lancaster campus. If you're watching online, man, we're excited to have you with us. Uh, it's great to be in church today. And uh, man, I just want to say, what a great season. Christmas is coming. How many of you have tickets already for the experience? Raise your hand. Dude, there's a lot of you that need to get tickets. I'm telling you, you don't get a ticket, we're not letting you in. They're free, but you need to get a ticket. We want to make sure there's room. There already have been tons of tickets already gone. But let me just say something else about Christmas, okay? I think it is the best time of year to actually have an opportunity to introduce someone to Christ. Because people are thinking about it Christmas. And so I want to encourage you, someone at work, one of your neighbors, someone in your family, somebody that doesn't know Christ, you say, you know what, come with me this Christmas. And I believe they're going to have an incredible experience. We always do it up big at Christmas here at Crossroads. So you're going to love Christmas. Make sure you get your tickets for that. Man, I want to welcome you if you're new. We're actually in the middle of a series called Difference Maker. And here's what I know that's true for you and it's true for me. This is what we hope for our life. Like, I, I know that you want to make a difference in your life. I want to make a difference. I don't want to just go through life and just have made a certain amount of money and I had a house and I had kids and then I died. Like, I want my life to mean like it carries on. I want to know that something, uh, something in our world changed because I lived in it. And I think all of us feel that way. We want to make a difference in our lives. Listen, we're going to have an opportunity to, as a church, this is something we like to do every year. If you're new to our church, it's a tradition we have every year around Christmas time. And that is that we will kind of take up an offering that we will end of the year offering really to help us propel into the next year to make a difference as a community. We're calling it a difference maker offering. Now we do this every year. And I think there's something about Christmas season that is like, hey, we celebrate Jesus's birth. We ought to give him a gift. And we do it on purpose because I feel like it's part of like pushing back against getting drawn into this very consumeristic kind of reason to celebrate Christmas. And there's something about it that focuses our families to say, hey, wait a minute. Let's not forget Jesus this Christmas. Let's give to something that's on his heart, his purpose, his kingdom. And that's what we do as a church. And yet um, we're going to do this on December 16th. This is above and beyond. This is like not a regular giving. This is us choosing to say, God, I want to honor you this Christmas season. You know what's crazy? Is that we will spend a lot of money buying a lot of gifts for people that we feel like we have to because we share a bloodline with them, but we don't really want to. How awesome would it be to actually give something to the one who shed his blood for us? Amen? Amen. So we're going to do that on December 16th. And I know what happens anytime a pastor talks about taking up an offering. Everybody gets a little tight get a little nervous. Let me just tell you something. This is kind of cool, okay? If, you, if you're newer to our church, you may want, like, we don't pass the offering basket around every week. You should know that. We don't do that. We don't, we don't pass it around because we're, we're not trying to just pass it around in a way to guilt people. And it's like, oh, I guess I better put something in there. We don't do that. We know that's awkward. We don't do it. The reason why we have a ministry in is because there are people that have experienced the grace of God who just schedule, who just make God a priority. And we give drop boxes, we give online, we give via text. And so we just kind of eliminate that because here's the truth. Whenever there's something to do with our money, anybody, especially a church, let's be honest, it gets a little, I don't know, awkward. Like there's a little bit, there's a, a, a tense thing. In fact, I think that when it comes to the Christmas season, even, I, I think, you know, when we have an opportunity to be generous or we hear about an offering, immediately there's a little bit of an internal battle that goes on inside of every single one of us. I promise you. 
It's like that, um, you know, where you have like a little devil on one shoulder and a little angel on the other shoulder and the angel sitting here chirping in your ear going, I know, but it's for a good reason, a cause. And we're going to use it to expand God's kingdom. We're going to use it for our youth in Lancaster. We're going to use it for all these different things. And I know it's going to be used for a good purpose. We're like, yeah. And then there's a little devil that's on the other shoulder. The little devil is going... Yeah, but you don't have that much, and Christmas is really expensive, and you've already blown your budget, and you're running out of money, and you're running up your credit card bill, and you don't, you know what I mean? There's this tension that goes on between being generous and, and not having enough. I, I gotta be honest, just a moment of transparency. I feel this way every Christmas season. It's called the season of giving. I think it's the season of struggle, right? Like, like, I, I want to give. Like, so what I'm saying is this. This is me, personally. On one side, I want to be the most generous giver ever. It is fun to give, isn't it? I really think it's cool. I think what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive is true. And when you're young, you don't get that. When you get, become a parent, you're like, I like watching my kids open gifts. Like, there's something about it, right? Giving. There is a joy that comes from giving. And so there's something with being generous that inside of me says, yes, I want to give the best gifts. I want to be the most generous giver. I want to do that. And then there's another part inside of me, this fear that comes up and goes, yeah, but you can't afford that. You know what I mean? Like, I want it, but I, I got to pay for it. I want to bless them. I know, but the credit card, I want to do this. And so you ever feel that tension? I know we feel it in our household. Listen, my wife and I, we have this same conversation four or five, six times every Christmas season because she is, she is the gift giver of all givers. Like she is super generous. And my wife, here's what she does. I, I don't think she'll mind me saying this. My wife is the type that likes to give gifts that she thinks are meaningful for the person. Is there anybody like that? Do you like to give meaningful gifts? Raise your hand. All the women. So I thought, right? I'm the kind of person that likes to put a price tag on each person and say, that's what they're worth. And we don't go over. Amen. Can I get a witness from anybody like me? Yeah. You know, it's like they're worth 25. I like them a little more 35. All right. She birthed me a little bit more than that. You know what I mean? Like, Let's be honest. You know, here's the thing you need to understand about coming to church here, okay? I just say what most of you think. You're just afraid to say it. So, so it's like inside, we, we got this little battle. We have this little kind of, kind of I'm like, you want to give what to who? We don't even give that much to your cousins. Are you kidding me? You want to get, no, 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 listen. And so we kind of have this little struggle because I think we all feel it. Like I would love to be generous and help others. But then I, I struggle with a fear of not having enough to do it. It's a constant battle. It's a tension that all of us feel. And, and, and yet we're not alone in doing this. In fact, I wanted to share a story with you if you've got a Bible with you uh, in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, I, I want to share this story with you because Jesus' own disciples felt this way. This is a story that I promise most of you have heard. Maybe if you haven't been to church, it'll be new for you. And you're like, this is cool. But, but Matthew chapter 14, um, let, let me read to you just a, a couple verses to set up the story first. I'll just let the Bible set the context. It says this in verse 13 and 14. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. 
It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, what did he have on them? Everybody, would you say that word out loud? He had what? He had compassion. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now, you need to know something significant happened because it says, when Jesus heard what had happened. Now, now you may not know the context because I jumped right in the middle of the story, but um, if you read right before it, what happened was Jesus just got news that his cousin had been murdered. His cousin, his, his name was John. People know him as John the Baptist. That he was killed by Herod. And, and so Jesus gets news of this. Can you imagine? This is someone that was about his age. This is a relative of his. This is someone he surely saw and met for family gatherings. This is someone that, you know, I mean, John the Baptist, there was a connection there. And so Jesus gets this awful news. I mean, this is awful news, right? And it says that he and his disciples decided to kind of pull away kind of to a private place. They needed some time away from people. I mean, they were ministering to people, but man, sometimes, you know, you just get to a place where you ever feel like it's like, I need to get away from everyone just for a little bit. I got to get away. I think this is how moms feel a lot, to be honest with you. You know what I mean, moms? So you have your kids all day long and they're driving you crazy and you're thinking, I just need 15 minutes to myself. 15 minutes without looking at your faces and hearing your voices. And so, you know, mom, sometimes you like do something and go in your room. Picture it like this, moms. It's like going into your room, shutting the door to get a little bit of alone time, turning around, 23 kids are in your room. You had no idea. That's what happened to Jesus, okay? Like this is heavy. We need to get away. And all of a sudden, they, they sail on boat, and, but the people are like, oh, no, we're not letting him get away. And they travel around. And when he lands, there's thousands of people there. And he looks at them, and he, he has compassion because he sees they're hurting, and he sees they're sick, and he sees they're hungry, and he knows they're lost. And so I love this picture of Jesus because on one side, you see his humanity where he says, I'm hurting. I need to get away. But on the other side... He's moved when he sees people and he has to do something. There, there's something in him that says, I need to respond. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that situations of need often come at the most inconvenient times. You know what I've discovered? Taking up an offering at Christmas time could not be the most inconvenient time. And yet I also realized that it might be the most important time to push ourselves to trust God in faith. See, the, the season, when we, we, we always wish that we had more margin in our time in our finances in our energy so that when there was a need well, okay then i'll be ready to do it but what i've discovered is that most often the greatest need and the greatest opportunity does not care about convenience in your life and jesus doesn't doesn't he doesn't say you know what guys i just needed some time by myself he sees an opportunity sees a need and begins to minister so this is what jesus does and in fact, this story that I'm going to read to you is actually one of the few stories that you find in all four gospel accounts of Jesus. This is how important it is. And so it, it says this, as it goes on in verse 15 to tell us that Jesus, well, he was there and he's ministering to people. He's, he's teaching them. He's, he's uh, healing them. This is what the, the, the story tells us. It says in verse 15, as evening approached. So all day long, this is going on. It says the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus replied in verse 16, they don't need to go away. He said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Verse 17, 
Um, their response is, uh, Jesus, in case you forgot, we were in the boat with you and we just had this one little back, you know. He said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Now, now on the surface, when I read this, it, it kind of looks like the disciples are really deeply concerned about all the people. Like, man, it's getting late. It's getting dark. There's no flashlights. There's no streetlights. Like these kind of roads, they're going to hurt themselves. They're hungry. I mean, we're over here, Jesus, and you're preaching. It's really good and all, but we got people coming up to us like, you got anything to eat? And we're like, hey, just, you know, just listen to Jesus. And you're preaching, you're going on. And, and, uh, and oh, by the way, Jesus, I mean, this sermon is great, but have you ever thought about preaching in series? Right? Because you're going on and on and on. You see, I, I don't try to do like Jesus. I have to break up a sermon over four or five weeks because if I just kept preaching, y'all leave to go get something to eat. And I know that. So, so Jesus is, he's just going on. He's ministering. He's preaching to them. And they're, you know, they're kind of, hey, Jesus, I mean, we ought to let them go. Let's get Bartholomew. He's great at the benediction. We'll get the key player going. You know, keys going. Pray, release. And we'll see you next week. You know, and, um, and Jesus looks at him. He was like, no, they don't need to go away. I know you feel like it's an inconvenience because need always feels like an inconvenience. But he said, you give them something to eat. Again, this would have been shocking. What do, what do we have? Like, th there's all these people, thousands upon thousands, the story tells us, and there's just a few of us. And so their response is kind of telling. They, they said, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. We don't have that much. Like, you imagine, I imagine all this conversation is going off mic. Hey, Jesus, uh, we only have this. You know what I mean? Like, like we only got five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, now, I know that sometimes the story doesn't give us always the motive. But when I read this story, I just want to tell you my opinion. This is my opinion, okay? This is me kind of reading between the lines. I don't like to do this all the time, but I, I, think, it, I think it's there. Um, I don't think they were as concerned about the other people as maybe they were hungry. Jesus, you know, we ought to send them off because, whoo, there's a lot of people around here hungry. You know what I mean? And, and, and we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And last I counted, there's 13 of us. Like, I, I bet we have enough for 13, but not 13,000. Like, here's what I want you to see. Their response was one that we typically respond when there's an opportunity in front of us. And I believe it is a response of fear. Here's what fear says. Fear says we don't have enough. Fear is when, when you respond to a situation where you say, I don't have enough. We, we don't have enough. This is what they said. We don't have enough. We only got enough. And maybe 12 of us plus you, like 13, we all get at least a couple bites of bread. We might be able to split this fish, you know, get a couple bites. We don't have enough for all of them. And this is what fear does. Listen, here's where that tension comes in our lives. Because yes, we want to be smart and wise with the resources we have. But then we have an opportunity to kind of respond. But then we shrink back out of fear because we say, I, we don't have enough. What is that area in your life that you, you, you obsess about that you're afraid of you never have enough? Because sometimes it's not just money. Sometimes it's time. If you find yourself, well, I don't, well, I don't have enough time to do that, to help. Well, I don't have enough energy to do that. We don't have enough room for our family. We don't have enough. And we're constantly, fear constantly drives our response whenever there's a need and an opportunity. And so what Jesus does is really cool. I, I, I like this. 
verses 18 through 21. Let's look at the rest of the story. It says this, and he directed, or Jesus said, verse 18 first, he said, bring them here to me. Now he's talking about the bread and the fish. He says, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. It says, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up how many basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over? Say it out loud. How many? Twelve. I always love this point. How many disciples were there? Twelve. I, I feel like this was God just, you know, in this moment. And it says, verse 21, the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is an incredible miracle. It's one of the few that's in all four accounts. It's so significant. And Jesus' response to their fear, we don't have enough. It's just enough maybe for us. He says, bring them to me. Bring them to me. This is, he said, give them to me. I want them. Give, give them to me. This is so significant because here's what fear does. Fear will cause you to hold on to the very thing that you worry about. This is what we do with fear. Have you ever noticed the thing that we're most afraid that we don't have control over is also the very thing that we won't give to God in our situation of fear? The thing that we're afraid to let go of. Because listen, the moment they had to take the bread and the fish and give it to Jesus, that was the moment they had to let go of it and let go of control of it. And I'm telling you, the reason why a lot of times we don't do this is because of fear. I don't want to let go of this. I'm not going to give over control of this. That's why sometimes we are afraid in our marriage, but we won't trust God with it. So we're going to try to fix it and hold on to it ourselves. Or when it comes to our time, I don't have enough time, so I can't give him my time. Or I don't do this, and so we are, we just, we don't trust. And so Jesus makes them do something that will cause them to let go of it and give control over to him. You know what? That's called faith, by the way. Faith is whenever you trust God for a situation that you can't control. He said, he said put it in my hands. Give me the bread. Give it to me. Let, let me do something with it. Here's, here's, this is so important. Please get this, okay? Because this isn't just a spiritual thing. You know, sometimes in church, like, we got to give it over to God. Leave it at the cross. Give it at his feet. I, I get all of that, but I think sometimes we miss how to practically do that. How do we practically give something that we're afraid of over to God? Here's what it looks like. Instead of trying to control the situation yourself, then you adopt God's plan in his way for how to do it. This is how you practically do it. Instead of, I've got to control it. So, so that means if, if one of your fears is being alone in the dating process and you're like, I just can't trust God, so I'm not going to wait for God, so I'm going to go do and find it on my own and however I want. Listen, faith says, God, I trust that you are going to provide someone better for me than I could ever go outside of the people you want me to go outside of. And so I'm going to trust you to provide somebody for me. And then it's also taking a shower and putting on some cologne. It does both, okay? Just... See, see, faith is when you say, God, I don't feel like I have a lot of time, but I'm going to trust you and put you first with my time. You know what I've discovered? Most of the time when people say, I don't have enough time, you want to know, know the one thing that they will not make time for? Going to church. On the first day of the week, 
rather than giving God our first of our time. Say, you know what? I'm so busy. Work's so busy. The season's so busy. I don't have enough time to get all the things done, so I just can't go to church. You know what I've discovered? That if you will put God first in that area of your life, He will bless all the rest of your time in your life. And so if you would just learn to say, God, I'm going to worship you, even though I feel like I don't have a lot of time. I have to do this in my, my own life. I, I feel this. I feel the, the pinch of time every week. Like, I'll have days when I get up and I'll feel so behind in sermon preparation that I want to forego my, my private time with God in the morning. But I'm constantly reminded about how if I put God first, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. If I put God first, I think he could bless the time that I do have and multiply it. And so I, I want to be sure to give God the first of my time, the first of my day. I, I want to give him the first and the best. Listen, the same is true for our money. The reason why money creates so much tension in us is because we're afraid to put God first. The place where we have the most fear is the area where you hold on to control the most. The place where you have the most faith is the place where you will release it to God and say, I'll do it your way. That, that's it. And we struggle with this all the time. But you know what I have found that actually enables us to experience when you put it in God's hands, what God can do and bless and multiply is that when you give to God or bring to God the first fruits of your increase. I believe in this principle of first fruits. I've preached on it. I believe that we're called to give God the first fruit. Why? Because it's making God first. And a lot of us as Christians, we'll do that with our time and we'll come to church and we'll sing songs that we like and we'll hear a message and we're good with that. But when it comes to our wallet, our pocketbook, we're like, oh, don't touch that because I don't have enough. Maybe that's the problem is it's in your hands rather than putting it in God's hands because if you put it in God's hands, Jesus might just be able to multiply it. See, this is like mixed reaction. It was like, yeah, like, no, I don't know. I'm just going to tell you, you keep it in your hands, you're going to be gripped with fear, and you're never going to experience the blessing that God has. Because God can take a little, and he can do a lot. Let me tell you the way I give to God the first fruits in my life, in our family. We give the tithe. It's a measure of the first fruit. It's the first 10%. That's what I do, at least. We say, you know what? And I schedule it. Can I tell you why I schedule it? As soon as we are given, we get a paycheck, my giving goes out. I schedule it. You know why? Because I don't want to give God what's left over. I would not want to eat of the five loaves and the two fish and then say, here, God, here's the crumbs I have left. I'm going to put you first, and I'm going to believe that you are going to provide. And so what Jesus does in this moment is he shows us, this is so cool, he shows us a pattern in dealing with our resources. There's a pattern here. I don't know if you picked up on this pattern, but I did in the text. There's a pattern, I believe, that can actually lead to his blessing in our lives so that we can be a blessing. Here, here's what the pattern looked like to me. It says that gave him, uh, actually, I, I, I brought some with me because I thought it might help the visual a little bit. I brought some bread. They, it says that they gave him the bread and the fish. But my guess is he just held the bread because you don't want to hold slimy fish. That's kind of gross, right? But it says that he, he took the, the bread, and here was the pattern. It said he looked up, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it. Here's the pattern. He looked up, he gave thanks, he broke it, 
and he gave it. Come on, say it out loud with me if you can remember that. He looked up, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it. So do it again. He looked up, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it. There is a pattern here when it comes to our resources that if we could embrace this pattern, I believe that we could experience miracles from God. What, what, what happened? He looked up. Why did he look up? Because I believe that he wanted, and this wasn't for his own benefit, but I believe it was for everyone that it was there, that rather than focusing on the resource or how much we don't have, he decided to show us we ought to look up to the source of the resource that's in heaven because our heavenly father is able to increase the resource. So he looks up first. I love James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from our heaven above, from our father above. Looks up. He looks at the source. He looks up to the source. I'm not going to focus. Here's the problem. We focus on what's in our cow. We focus on what we don't have. That's where fear comes from. And Jesus shows us we ought to just start by looking up to the Father in heaven. Who has the ability, by the way, to multiply our resource. And so he looks up. I, I feel like if we knew the source, we probably wouldn't worry about the resource. If we knew the source, we'd stop worrying about the resource. If we knew that God is a good father who desires to give good gifts to his kids, that doesn't want to see people suffer, I really believe that we would, we would experience something incredible. So he looked up, and then when he looked up, what did he do? He gave thanks. He gave thanks. You know, I find the last thing that I tend to do when it comes to my finances is give thanks for what I do have. I usually tend to complain about what we don't have. I wonder if gratitude does something. I wonder if gratitude does something in God's heart. I wonder if gratitude does something in our mindset. I wonder if we would just take a moment to thank God every single day instead of complain about what we don't have. I wonder if it would start to change our perspective when it comes to our resource. Because most of us are going around and we are, we are in a better place financially than 99% of the rest of the world. But we're still moping and complaining because we haven't been able to get a new car and our car is five years old. Because we haven't yet gotten a house because our house is kind of small. We complain about it. What would it look like if we were to stop, look up to our father and heaven every day and say God I want to thank you right now I have a lot to thank you for I have a car that gets me where I need to go I have a bed that I got to sleep in I got a roof over my house I got a job that's paying me I've got a family I've got a church I live in a free country come on you have a lot to be thankful in your life I think we ought to take 10 seconds and we ought to thank God right now for the great provision for the blessing that he's given us already in our lives rather than well, I don't have very much. Things are kind of tight. I understand reality. They only had five loaves of bread and two fish. But Jesus still thought it would be important to thank God for the five loaves and the two fish and not complain about it. And so he looked up, he gave thanks, and then it said that he broke it. Now, Jesus would do this in other places. That's why I said there's a pattern. You can look at other places in Scripture. He looked up, he gave thanks, and then he broke the bread. And I thought to myself, what's so significant about him breaking the bread? Like, I mean, he didn't need to break the bread, but he did. He... Whoops. He, he gave thanks, and then he, 
he broke it. I was like, what's so significant? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that in order to share it, you got to break it. In order to share it, you have to break it. And I wonder if it's not his way of saying, if God intended for all of the resource that you have to be consumed solely by you, there would be no reason to break it. But I wonder if it's Jesus' way of saying, I gave it to you, but I didn't give it to you just so you could consume it all. I gave it to you so you would break it and you would share it with somebody else. Sometimes we think it's all about me and it's my money. It's all what I've got. But rather, I wonder if he wants us to know, no, I've given it to you so you could break it and so you could share it. We have a rule in our house when it comes to sharing things that one person splits it. The other person chooses. I, I think that Jesus was trying to say, I, I'm going to split it as significant of I want you to share it with somebody else. So he looked up, he gave thanks, he broke it, and then he gave it. What does it look like in our lives to be thankful for what God has entrusted to us? To then take a portion of what he's given to us and use it to share with somebody else. You, you see, we're afraid to do this. But one of the greatest miracles that he ever performed happened because of this. I'd like to see a miracle happen like that in my life. I got to learn to break it. I got to learn to give it. And don't miss this. Not only did he give it, but there was some, something cool he did. It says that he gave it to his disciples to distribute. I, I thought about this. If you imagine that there was maybe 13,000, 15,000 men, women, and children, no microphones, no big screen with camera to project this, I thought, I bet most of the people there had no idea of the miracle that Jesus performed. All they did was sit in groups and somebody came and brought food to them. But it was the disciples that got to be part of the miracle. There are a lot of people that will encounter the generosity of our hearts and our church. They will have no idea about the miracle. All they're going to do is receive something. But when you give, something happens in your heart. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a joy that happens. There's something that's released that happens. There's a miracle that can happen, by the way, in your finances when you entrust it to him. And so this season, I wanted to do something a little different. We're in this Difference Maker series, and I wanted our church to make a difference. We do this every holiday season because this is a time when I think people are more open to knowing about Christ and so I, my, my thought is this, let's show them the love of Christ in this season. And so in years past, we, we've done all kinds of things. We've given shoes away to kids in school. We've given coats and hats away. We've, we've done a variety of different things. And um, this year, we're doing something a little different. I wanted to share with you what we're doing. It's a little different. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we're giving this season. We, we've had the giving tree at both our campuses where you, many of you have already gotten gift cards. Now, that's for people within our church family that have been nominated that are maybe struggling a little bit this season. Listen, we all go through times like this. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. But if we got people within our own family that are struggling, we want to take care and help them. 
And so I want to say thank you for everyone that on your own have gotten gift cards and brought them to our campuses. To, we're going to be delivering those to help people in our church family this season. Amen? Come on, I want to be a giving church. I want to be a generous church. I want this to define us. I believe generosity is our privilege. So we're doing that. But that's not where we're going to stop. That's, that's the beginning. Beyond that, our churches, we're taking over $10,000, both our campuses, and we're adopting dozens of families through organizations that we're getting connected to, other people in our communities that are struggling right now who don't go to church, who don't have a faith. And you know what? We just want to show them the love of God this season. And so we're giving away to over $10,000. Our campus teams are finding people that they can, they can help and sponsor, but we're not done there. We're also going to be going into at least one school, if not two schools. I don't remember how many. And we're going in and we're going to ask them on this day, what are the, the families with negative lunch balances? And we're going to say, we want to pay them off. So we're going to pay off negative lunch balances at a school or two. You know, we're not going to announce. We're not sending an email. We're just going to go, here you go. Put them at zero at least. That's what we're going to do. We're doing other things in schools. I, I, can't, I can't tell it all. The campus pastors are organizing it all, but we're doing other things. But there was also something I wanted to do because this story inspired me. How Jesus took it and he broke it and then he gave it to the disciples to give it to the people. And I thought, I want to be a part of a picture of that. And so here's something cool that we're doing. Uh, if you got an envelope, you should have got an envelope on your way out. Would you all get it out right now? Don't open it, but just get it out. It says Difference Maker on it. Grab your envelope, hold on to it for just a second, okay? I wanted to do something kind of fun, kind of unique, and a little scary. Every, every holiday season, we put aside outreach money. What is outreach money? Money that you give throughout the year. This is why I say it's important to give, like, not just for the ministry, for beyond the walls of our ministry. 10%. Okay, of everything that comes in, we set it aside and we use it to reach people with the gospel through a variety of different ways. And so we gave, like Impact Week, I think we gave over 40000 or near $50,000 away to ministry partners. We do this kind of stuff throughout the year. But at the end of the year, I want to be generous in the season of giving as a church. And so here's what we decided to do. We took, I think it's nearly $20,000, and we broke it up into different denominations, and we put it in these envelopes, and we're putting it in your hands. So inside of this envelope that you're holding is a different denomination, anywhere between $10 to $20, $50, some with $100. And we have, listen, in every single one of our experiences here in Lancaster right now, somebody has an envelope with $500 in it. Ooh. Oh, by the way, before you're like thinking, oh, Lord, please let it be me, let it be me because I want an iPad. It's not for you. In fact, I'm going to say this, okay? If you take the money, because this is scary, and some people are like, this seems irresponsible. Yeah, I know. Somehow we're going to trust you with the money you've already given to the church. It seems irresponsible. But here's what I thought. Look, what kind of impact could we as a community make if we would take this money, divide it up, and we would just go and bless somebody in our community that we just see this season? This is going to be fun, guys. So we're putting the money. Now, here's what's cool. People get nervous when the church talks about money. We're not taking up an offering. We're giving one away today. We're giving one away. Nearly, 20, I think it's $20,000 is broken up into envelopes. Okay? In just a moment, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to open your envelope and take the cash out, and there's a little card in there and on the count of three. And listen, I know some of you are like, oh, Lord, please give me a 50, give me a 100, give me the 500. You want, you want that. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a great responsibility that comes with this. Th this isn't... 
just flippantly go throw this money away. This is pray and ask God who he wants you to touch and minister this season. A coworker, somebody at the grocery store, someone at school, another teacher. Who is it? Who is it? Someone you know that's hurting? Hey, great. You're going to use it. So we're anywhere from 10 to $500 is in these envelopes. All right? And so on the count of three, I want you to rip it open. Be careful how you rip the envelope. Someone already told me, I ripped it and I ripped the money. Don't do that. Open it up like a civilized human, okay? On the count of three, I want you to open the envelope. One, two, three. Come on, open them up. Lancaster, come on. Open your envelopes. Pull the cash out. Pull the money out. There's a little card in there, okay? Some of you get 20, 50, 100. I want to know both our campuses, who got the 500? Raise your hand if you got the 500. Hold it up, hold it up, whoever gets the 500. All right, we got someone over here. Come on, get, put your hands together in Lancaster. I know we got someone. $500. I would not want that. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Okay, I'm going to close. I believe in the power of multiplication. Not, not just financially, but spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ through this. You say, some of you got $10. You say, what am I supposed to do with $10? How about next time you go through the drive-thru, pay for the person behind you? Well, what if it's more than $10? Use some of your own money. <laughs> My gosh, cheapskate. We're like, hey, what's their bill come to? I only got 10. No. You... you some of you, maybe you ought to double it. Some of you got 500, maybe you ought to double it. I'm just, I'm just kidding, man. That's all you don't have to do. That's why I say there's a lot of pressure. I, I, I am believing that, that when more than a thousand people go out into our community and say, God loves you, and I just want to give this to you, and they say, Why are you giving this to me? Because I felt like God wanted me to give it to you just to bless you this season. I want you to know that God loves you. I'm going to tell you, they're going to be excited, but guess who's going to have the most joy? You are. You can make a life by what you get, but you make a difference by what you give. My prayer is that when we do this, that it's going to release generosity in our hearts. You're going to be so inspired, you might do it again with your own money. You might do it again. And so as a church, I want us to make a difference. That's what we're doing this season. We're going to make a difference. I believe that when we give on the 16th, we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a difference. We're going to use that money to continue to expand God's kingdom to make a difference. I promise you, it's not going to salaries. It's not going to pay something on the budget. It's going so that we can expand our reach as a church in 2019. Here's the cool thing. We're often so afraid that we won't have enough, but I want to remind you of this story. It says that everyone ate and was satisfied that includes the disciples there is a blessing that comes when we are generous when we break what God has put in our hands and we give it to others watch how God can do miracles in our lives amen church come on would you pray with me today God I I pray right now in advance for every single person that's going to be a recipient of this blessing and this miracle. Father, I pray right now that your spirit would lead and guide us. That if we know someone, that maybe we'll use that. Maybe we'll use it to let them know that, that we as a church love them.
But maybe, God, I believe there's going to be random stories of where we're going to be out in the store and we're just going to feel prompted in that moment to walk up to somebody without even knowing, are they a millionaire or are they on food stamps? But we're trusting that, God, you're going to lead us to the need. I pray, God, that this season, that rather than being filled with a consumeristic mindset, but, God, we'd be filled with compassion like you had Jesus. That, God, we see the need, we see the opportunity in front of us to make a difference, to share the resource that you have given to us. And I believe, God, we're going to be a conduit of that blessing, a recipient of grace, but a conduit of that blessing, God. And so I pray, Lord, through the season that you're going to challenge us, not just to give this, but to give generously, maybe to start giving faithfully on a regular basis and putting you first. And God, I believe that you're going to do miracles in our midst. So God, take these, these gifts, take these envelopes with money, and God, use it to show people your love. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everyone said... Come on, let's put our hands together for God. He is so good.